listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board-certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. All right, everyone. Welcome, 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 Dr. Rob Kiltz and uh, uh, Carnivore Conversations, Kiltz's Conversations, whatever it is. But I'm really, really pleased to share a conversation with uh, Kim Forbes, uh, which is uh, Kim's Keto 365. Uh, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> Well, we're we're going to talk about everything keto. Maybe we'll throw in some carnivore, maybe some Mediterranean conversations in there, how we can sort of inspire people on this journey, right? Well, maybe you can Sounds tell us a little bit about where where you're at and and what's your, you know, basic uh, story that got you here. So, um I'm from Johannesburg, South Africa. I've lived here my whole life. Um yeah, basically I started out um just over 3 years ago now. I was at my heaviest weights at 105 kilos. I had just found out I had insulin resistance and I knew I needed to make a change. So um, my dad had actually done banting following Professor Tim Noakes after his heart attacks and he had seen a lot of success. So that sort of led me down the path of researching banting and then that led into keto. So yeah, I started out not really knowing what I was doing and just sort of winging it and looking online and, and that sort of thing. There wasn't as much information then as what there is now. Um, but yeah, it's trial and error and you know, every day wasn't easy, but you just persevere and it got easier as I went. And I think I really enjoyed trying recipes and making things keto and that sort of really helped me enjoy the journey more. Um, so yeah, I actually didn't realize when I started out that I could reverse my insulin resistance. I thought I was just going to have to sort of manage it the rest of my life. And I think I was about six months into keto when I had bloods done again and realized I wasn't insulin resistant anymore. So amazing. yeah, amazing. that was the biggest win for me. You know, the weight loss has been an amazing bonus. I've lost about 99 pounds now. Um, but it's the health benefits that really or what is important, you know? You feel amazing. How young are you, by the way? Can you I'm share 35. that? 35? Yeah. And how long have you been on the this keto journey? Three years. Three years. And and yeah. so, so uh, can you explain what banting is to those in this world who may not know banting? Yeah. So banting and keto is really very similar. Um, You're eating the same sort of foods and that. It's just with keto, you obviously track your carbohydrates and you want to make sure you stay in the nutritional state of ketosis. Where with banting, you sort of have a list of approved foods and you just stick to that. So you're not tracking as carefully. And and I, how much do you know in South Africa about, about uh, Atkins and a comparison between Atkins and, and banting and keto? Do you have any comments on that? I don't think Atkins was ever really popular in South Africa as such. Um, I know in, in America, Atkins was was quite a big thing, but I think we only really caught on to banting because of Professor Noakes, because he wrote a lot of um, books and that on banting, and then it sort of took off over here. Which I think in America, Atkins and banting are very similar, and, yes. and so many authors have written similarities in this. And and so you've lost your tremendous weight. Were you on medications previously and you're off them or so, tell us about your, your, tell us about how you felt and, and the changes that you've also gone through. So obviously when I was told I had insulin resistance, it was recommended to go on metformin, but that's when I started doing my research and I wanted to try lifestyle changes first. I didn't want to go on medication because I feel like it's something that you could end up on your whole life, you know, and I, I definitely didn't want to go down that path unless I had to. So I'm grateful that I never ended up having to. So essentially when you said you're looking for the proper doctor, uh, what was your experience going to the standard doctors on, on all of this concepts and ideas of, of dietary changes and nutrition? Yeah. 
So to be honest, my doctor, I'm very lucky. Um, although he did, when he diagnosed me, recommend metformin, he was happy for me to look at lifestyle changes first and said, okay, try it and come back in six months and we'll look again. And he was very supportive when it worked and he's been supportive of my keto lifestyle ever since. He actually asks me a lot of questions about it and that, which is great. So I think I'm in a very lucky position. I've seen with a lot of people um, that that hasn't been the case for them. So I'm very lucky. And, and tell us a little bit about your, your blogging, your coaching, and what you're doing to help others that are suffering from, from uh, the, the ravages of a plant-based uh, and standard recommended uh, nutrition or diet. Yeah, so when I started, I started my Instagram page purely for accountability. And the thing was to post um, a picture of my food every day for 365 days, which I did. And while I was doing that journey, through doing research and that, I decided to study a diploma in nutrition, which I duly did. And although it didn't um, sort of align with keto and what I was doing, it did teach me a lot of critical thinking and how to look into research papers and stuff like that. So it was very beneficial anyway but yeah um in 2020 I was a travel agent previously and I was retrenched when all the lockdowns happened and a lot of people had been asking me already if I would help them with keto and that so I decided to start my coaching business and I honestly really truly believe everything happens for a reason because I've never been happier I enjoy so much what I'm doing and helping other people do what I did it's so rewarding and I think it helps for them also to have a coach that's been through it and understands what it feels like to have the cravings and you know I can chat to them late at night when they're struggling and that's Sort of thing and i think that helps so how do you approach a patient that's coming to you with 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 is, is it mostly weight needs change it to lose weight or is it other medical conditions how are they approaching you so the most common is weight loss and then the second most common i find is women with pcos because they've tried dietitians and that, and the predominantly the dietitians tell them, oh no, but you don't need to cut out carbs and you don't need to do this for your PCOS. And they try to encourage medication, which is not what everybody wants. And, and, and so what, how do you, how do you, what's your sort of a general approach and the changes you recommend uh, and number of meals a day and, and, and yeah. do you go through a sort of standard diary of what they're eating and, and uh, yeah, one thing so, I've always found is if you ask people what they ate, they usually say healthy and organic and clean. And, but what does and that that's mean? about it. What does it mean? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think we've been misled so much by, um, you know, the food companies and that about what healthy is, is that we all have a different definition of what healthy looks like. So you do have to dig into it and see exactly what people are having but i think i like to start people off slow you know um we start by cutting out the the toxic oils and switching to healthy fats and then cutting out the processed foods and the sugars and that sort of thing and you know you as people become comfortable with those things you add in little tweaks as you go um and once you're comfortable on a keto lifestyle then we look at if that's working for you, if we need to look at some intermittent fasting, which I'm a big fan of, I really truly believe it's the reason I don't have loose skin after losing so much weight is the fasting. Um, and then, you know, if the fasting's working well, we look at things like a carnival protocol for gut health. Some people can't tolerate dairy, you know, so I look at different options depending on how the clients are doing and what their specific needs are. And most importantly, what will suit their lifestyle because otherwise it won't be sustainable. So a, a traditional dietary advice in the standard, and I'm sure, so you went to nutrition school, you have a degree yeah. in nutrition. Uh, what was, what's that? A diploma in nutrition. Yeah. And, and, and yet what does, so although did they teach keto and teach carnivore? No, <laughs> no. Um, you know, I think the the basis of it, although there was a lot on how low carb can be beneficial for controlling blood sugar and that it still tended to steer towards the standard sort of diet recommendations of low fats um, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, but at least I did learn a lot of critical thinking out of it and really to comb through research papers and, and that sort of thing. So, I'm glad I did it, but yeah, it didn't really teach what I'm coaching. 
are you finding a lot of research papers that support the carnivore? You said carnivore predator uh, diet, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, there's not enough research, I think, that's been done on carnivore yet. But that that is out there is very positive. And I think the same for keto, although there's a lot more research coming on keto now or low carb in general. But I, I really believe that, you know, the more research that's done into it, the more positive we're going to see. It's just that, unfortunately, research like that doesn't get the funding. And I and I know in in Dr. Noakes I think had trouble. Uh, they attempted to take his license away from practicing. They did. And 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 so obviously the general medical community and the nutritional community probably doesn't agree with Dr. Noakes even to this day, yeah. and likely doesn't agree with what you're sharing. Have you had any kickback or issues in in sharing your 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 advice? A little bit, um, not too much. Uh, I think mainly because I do coaching and that, and my clients are like, I've never had a client complain or, or anything like that. But I do think if you're at the doctor level or upwards in South Africa, you do get a lot of flack like that. And I mean, even though Tim Noakes won his court case, he won the appeal as well. A lot of people still don't agree with him and the dietary guidelines in South Africa despite those cases being one have never changed so which I find quite sad you know it was proven that this was the correct advice and then they've still left us eating low fat and high carb diets we're, we're on live uh and we have some people from Denmark Teresa Engelbrecht oh, uh Nixie thank you and uh, Sarah, Sarah, nutritional definitely nutrition definitely does not align with with keto. Uh, let's see, Amber uh, asked about is keto diet okay for diabetics and people uh, with nut uh, or vitamin C allergies? So I guess the question is in the allergy side of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you see a lot of patients, uh, clients with with allergies. How do you yes. approach approach that? So look, it would obviously depend on what the allergy is, but like, for example, I've got a client who's allergic to eggs and obviously eggs are quite big on keto and often on carnivore as well, depending on how you do it. So, you know, little things like that can be a challenge, but I mean, there's nothing that you can't work into a program for someone. Um, the most challenging I've had was someone who didn't eat eggs and wanted to do vegetarian which is very difficult for me because so many of the vegetarian foods are grains and things that are inflammatory so very difficult to do a sort of plant-based lifestyle in conjunction with keto if you don't eat eggs so uh, that that's right so i tell the vegetarians uh, uh eggs butter cream and cheese yeah. if you stick to that you'll be likely okay but if you uh not ideal to... but the best you can do it <laughs> But 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 in essence, a quiche—I mean, eggs, a cream, butter, and and cheese—likely contains all the minerals, vitamins, and yeah. and 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 the macronutrients. I think uh, that yeah. I find very 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 helpful. And and so so uh, what about? Uh, I'm sure you see again back to the allergies, food yeah. allergies. Are are you? How do you approach the food allergies? Yeah, look, I think a lot of the food allergies that I have seen is like people that are gluten intolerant and things like that, which predominantly we're cutting a lot of those foods out on keto in any event. Um, and people who do have more specific like autoimmune conditions and things like that, then I steer towards the carnivore side because then you really are cutting out any of those issues. And and, and uh, are they, you're finding, uh, you know, for seeds and nuts tend to be more antigenic and inflammatory of yeah. uh, fruits and vegetables with the seeds in them. Certainly without the seeds, maybe they're a little bit less, but, yeah. but um, how, how is it in getting patients to go from the, the, the plant-based keto side to the purely carnivore animal side? Look, I think for some people, they take really well to it. You know, I, I do a 30-day pro 
carnival protocol for myself once a year and a lot of my ladies do it with me and I've actually found that a lot of them will continue on a carnival slash keto even after the 30 days because it really works for them works for their lifestyle it simplifies things a lot for people you know there aren't so many choices and it's actually easier um but for others they really want to still have their veg and they enjoy having that sort of thing so I, I do believe it's a personal choice at the end of the day to see what's going to suit you best. Are we physiologically different or do our cells really work the same in all of us? Sure. That's a difficult one. Um, I think predominantly we are the same, but I mean, there obviously are differences. No two humans are exactly the same. It's, it's, not that we are the same, but very similar from person to person. And I think there are slight differences, especially between, say, men and women. Like women have to focus more on their hormonal cycle and stuff like that. For example, when it comes to fasting, I definitely do my fasting differently depending on where I am in my cycle and that sort of thing. So there definitely are differences, although predominantly we're the same. Right. I, you know, our, 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 our cultural and knowledge base is different. Our belief systems yes. are different, but our cells work the same. There are some genetic predispositions to some sensitivities or functions and diseases that may be a little bit greater or, or, or lesser in some people than, than others, uh, for sure. But uh, yes. it's, it's, we're, we're counseling our, our clients because we're all so similar and, and yet, the preferences. So, so our belief systems, our habits, how do you work on those belief systems and habits? Well, I'm Italian or whatever your culture is uh, in, in, in your clients. How do you deal with that? Look, I do think you have to adjust for things like that, because especially when it comes to religious beliefs, sometimes people have certain things that they need to do in terms of their religion versus, you know, their diet and that. And you have to incorporate it because at the end of the day, people always will respond to their core beliefs. So if something they're doing is going against those beliefs, it's not going to work. Um, for example, if you have a client who doesn't eat pork for religious reasons, you can't go and include pork in a program. It's not going to work. So it is tweaking things to work. And again, when it comes to cultural things, like, for example, you said in Italian, they like to have pasta and that sort of thing for their family life. So finding recipes that can sort of mimic that a little bit and give those comforts when you're craving them helps. And and um, the question came up about cycle. You mentioned cycle fasting. Uh, what's what's your what what is your recommendations on fasting or dietary changes throughout the menstrual cycle for those that are still cycling and or those that are working to conceive? So um, for what I do personally is the week after my period, I find is the best time to do longer fasts. So if I'm going to do an extended fast, say 24 hours plus, it will definitely be in that week. Um, I find it easier because that week you don't have any cravings or any of that kind of thing. I don't like to fast for the five days leading up to my cycle because I know there's a lot of important hormone building and everything that's happening then. And although fasting is a healthy stressor, I just feel like at that time, it's not the ideal time to be stressing your body. Also do lots of workouts in those five days and that sort of thing. And then for the rest of the month, I find intermittent fasting is okay. If it was a client who's looking to conceive though, I would also give a break for fasting around ovulation. So what, what do you call fasting? What's, what's your regimen for fasting? So I like to mix mine up a bit um, from week to week, but my intermittent fasting would be anything between a 16 and 24 hour fast. I like to include at least one 24 hour fast a week though, just for gut health and giving my gut a break from any digestion. And then um, I include a 72 hour fast once a quarter. I try to do a seven day fast once a year. Um, and yeah, I just like to mix things up because I feel like my body responds well to the variety. Interesting. And so, so the, how many meals a day do you generally recommend? Generally two, sometimes three, depending on um, your fasting window, but predominantly two. And, and, and so, so, so the first, so a 28 day cycle, day one that now, so 
you the the periovulatory time day 12 13 14 15 16 in essence uh eat at will eat what you want or stick to the nutritional recommendations on your plate no still stick to the nutritional recommendations so um i do think that you can benefit from eating higher protein before your period especially beef because it's good for hormone building but yeah i predominantly we stick to our recommendations throughout the month and and what and, and talk about everyone used the word healthy fat yeah. what do we mean by healthy fat so for me, it's predominantly animal fats. Um, I do, I'm a big fan of avocado as well and that, but predominantly it's animal fats. So butter, ghee, um, lard, duck fat's fantastic and really tasty as well. Um, I, I like to keep the bacon grease in that for cooking as well. So those are the fats that I like to stick to. So I always say fats from an animal and oils from a plant. Avocado's a plant. It has avocado plant oils. So, you know, that's one of the things that, because we use the term healthy fats, but ultimately, you know, in this simple separation is plant oils and fat comes from an animal, which I think is important. And and yeah. for those, now, when you say avocado, you mean to eat the avocado or, 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 yeah. or drink the avocado oil? Um, I don't really use avocado oil so much, maybe for a salad dressing, but not often. It's more eating the avocado itself. And and so uh, tell me a little bit about the fruits and vegetables that you sort of allow in in the in in your 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 keto uh, lifestyle. So from a fruit perspective, it would be definitely the avocados and then berries. Um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> And, 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 and how about the, on the vegetable side or the, the other plant products? I like to just say plant yeah. products versus animal products, right? Yes. That from an animal uh, oils from a, a, a plant. And then are you eating plant-based or animal-based uh, or are you mixing it up? And, and yeah. tell us a little bit about your general recommendations. So I like to focus on protein. I feel like if you get enough protein in throughout the day, then you're going to hit satiety. You're not going to have a lot of cravings. You're going to feel good. So I always tell my clients, make protein the hero of your meal. And then the veg is there for your enjoyment, really. So like, for example, you might make yourself a steak and then have some mushrooms fried in butter on the side or or something like that because i think a lot of people see it and they make these big salads with like a little bit of meat in it and then they wonder why they're feeling hungry in half an hour's time and and, and what's your thoughts on well then what about the fat how do they get the fat into that meal so definitely choosing fatty cuts of meat i think you get really good quality fat like that and then obviously you want to cook in an appropriate fat as well so like if i'm cooking my veggies predominantly it's in butter um i might add some cream as well something like that to up the fat contents a little bit but i also think if you're in the weight loss phase of your journey adding a lot of fat isn't necessarily necessary because your body is going to tap into fat stores which is what we want and, and, and on the, so on the vegetable side, do you have any like nose to vegetables and nose to which ones would you say, oh, don't touch that one. That one's really bad. Look, obviously your starchier veggies um, to stay in ketosis are not going to be a good option. But then I also like to avoid things that are really high in your anti-nutrients. So stuff like spinach and, and that's high in oxalates and that sort of thing. And, and so are you finding a lot of your clients have a lot of oxalate and, and, and lectin damage in their history? Um, I think it's a bit hard to say coming from a standard diet because you've had so much going on. So to pinpoint exactly what it is, is difficult, but I definitely do see an improvement when you cut those things out. And I think yeah. it's a mistake people make a lot on ketos. They rely too heavily on things like almond flour. And then they still have bloating after meals and that because their gut's not healing because of the oxalates and, and that sort of thing. So what's your take on all the, the flours made out of, made out of um, coconut and almonds and the milks and, and the butters made out of those products? Mm -hmm. what, what do you tell your clients? I think 
it's okay to use as a treat, but it really should be seen as a treat, not something you include in your day-to-day -day lifestyle because over time it's going to cause a problem. So, you know, if, if it's your birthday and you want to make a cake and it's going to use coconut and almond flour, that's okay. But if you're going to be having a bread made with almond flour every single day, it's going to cause problems. And, and what about sweeteners? What's your thoughts on sweeteners and how do you uh, advise your clients on yeah. which sweeteners they should be, be uh, using or not? So if I'm going to use sweeteners, I stick to um, monk fruits or stevia. So I try to stay away from anything that will be hard on the gut health, like xylitol is very popular in South Africa. Um, I'm not quite sure why it got so popular in South Africa, but almost everything that's sugar-free has xylitol in here. And I really feel like it has very negative impacts on the gut. And I always tell my clients, if you eat something and you bloat afterwards, that's your body telling you it doesn't agree. It's, 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 it's bad. And so tell us a little bit about a typical client. Maybe you can tell us about one of your recent clients, their basic complaints and, and how you've, you've helped them, uh, obviously without their names. Yes, sure. Um, let me think who's a good example. So I've got a client actually at the moment who really struggled with falling pregnant, which is why she came to me. She didn't have any weight problems as such, but had really been struggling with fertility. She had done two rounds of IVF already, and she was going for a third round and said that the doctor had actually recommended to her that she try a low-carb lifestyle before the third round. So um, we did keto, and she was successful in that round of IVF, and she is currently, I think, six months pregnant. So babies will be coming soon. And I just think, you know, that kind of thing is life-changing. People think of this as a diet or something you do to lose weight, but it's so much more than that. It's about your health and getting your physiology running properly again. It's like restoring to factory settings. So to reduce the inflammation, which allows natural conception to happen or yes. improves the IVF IUI or other assisted reproductive yes. uh, modalities is, is really important. What do you, how do you coach them once they're pregnant? So, um, I believe, look, I know probably a lot of people might not agree with me, but if this lifestyle helped you get pregnant, why would you suddenly change it once you are? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing keto during your pregnancy. Obviously do chat to your gynae or your doctor about it. Um, you need to do what's right for you, but I don't see any reason why you can't stay on keto or carnivore through your pregnancy. Um, Dr. Berry's wife, Nisha just had a baby and she stayed keto through her pregnancy. And it's the second time she's done that and it's gone very well. Yeah. Keto carnivore are critical for uh, pregnancy, getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and uh, ultimately, what I teach everyone is fat is the only fuel for the body. Sugar plants are not the fuel for the body or the baby. Fat is. So yes. we're, we're, we're eating these carbohydrates unrequired in our diet, but it's our standard diet. And it's probably one of the hardest things to get to get rid of. Uh, but yes. I certainly say it's very, very important in gut health. And, and uh, you're seeing a lot of patients with, with gut health, health issues. How long is it generally taking many of those patients to eliminate all that bloating and stuff? It's a long process. I, I think even for me myself, I was keto for so long and I saw progress up until a point, but I reached about 10 months into my journey. My weight loss stalled. I wasn't seeing more progress. And I actually started coaching with Ben Azadi and he recommended carnivore to me because he said, it sounds like you've still got gut health issues. And I did the 30 days carnival. And this is why I do it at least once a year, 30 days, because I never felt better than when I was on carnival. My energy levels, there was no more bloating. Um, and I think it's also the ultimate elimination diet, because when I came back into keto, I added foods one at a time for two days so that I could see if I had any reaction to anything. You know, if a certain vegetable then was giving me bloat, I need to cut it out of my lifestyle. And that could be different from person to person. So what's your thoughts on just going straight carnivore all the time for people? So to be honest, I think if I didn't cook for my parents and my family and that, I would do carnivore all the time. But I find it hard to stick to for myself with making the food for everybody else. Like sure. keto, I can manage. Um, so I do think it's a bit of a personal choice, but yeah, 
it's either going to work really well for your lifestyle or not. There's a lot of things I really enjoy about Carnival. And one of it's the simplicity because there's not like these limitless options of things to have. You don't have to really think about stuff. You go, you get yourself some good quality meat and you're ready to go. So I love that. And it's also actually easier to dine out on Carnival, I find, than keto because you just stick to ordering a steak. You ask them to cook it for you in butter and, and you're good to go. <laughs> and, and, and tell us a little bit about, about the, how your, your clients and you discuss the, the fiber, the fiber issue. So I think it's probably my biggest struggle is people telling me, but don't I need fiber? And to try and explain that in actual fact, you don't. <laughs> and that in a lot of cases, although you're told to take fiber if you're constipated and that sort of thing, it might make you think you've had the result. But in the long run, it's probably doing more damage than good. You know, what it's a bit like taking antacids I for heartburn. It, it does more damage in the long term than what it does any good. I guess I even wonder what the concept of, of, of constipation is. Is yeah. it not being able to go? Well, on carnivore, you only go once or twice a week. So I guess exactly. I'm constipated. But but a standard diet is you go to you have a bowel movement once or twice or thrice a day, which and I think that's where people get confused. They feel like something's wrong because they're so used to that, but they don't realize actually it's just there's less waste it's 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 all it is and it's once it fills up it's waiting to be like sent on its way right yes. and and dr paul mason uh from australia really does some great evaluation and showed the basic studies that um fiber uh actually is probably harmful for us and eliminating it will help us feel the very best eliminates all complaints to, to gut problems and and uh that's that's amazing part what um Talk a little bit about raw versus cooked plants and vegetables and things like that. So I try to only eat cooked veg because I do think it breaks down um, a lot of the fibers and stuff that we can't really process a bit better. So there are a few things that I still have raw, like if I do have lettuce with a salad and that sort of thing, but it's not very often that I will have that. Um, the only other things I really obviously have raw is things like avocado, but that's more of fruits. So, so the cooking kills the, kills the bacteria, yeast and viruses, and it may disable the toxins and it simplifies the fiber into simple sugar, which ultimately is 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 uh, metabolized or it's it's digested much better than complex carbs. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the these ideas of and so, how does your family and 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 friends feel about your journey? I think when I started out, a lot of people thought I was absolutely crazy, but the more they saw my results, the more people started to ask me, but hang on, what, what are you doing? What is there to this? And became more and more interested in it. I've even got um, a friend that's a doctor who's now quite keen on doing it for themselves. So, and in the beginning, when I started out, they were very concerned for me. <laughs> so I do think the proof is in the pudding. And as people see that actually you are still healthy and now you've done this for three years and the weight stayed off and it hasn't come back on like everybody says it will. I, I do think that that starts to sway people. It, and it, I'm it, lucky. It, My family has always been very supportive. So that helped a lot. And, and uh, your, your, tell, tell us a little bit about in your counseling, coaching, how you integrate exercise. So, I always tell my clients, I use myself as an example because I lost my weight without doing any exercise. But if I could go back, I think I would have incorporated exercise because I incorporated it once I reached my goal weight because I felt like it was the next step in my journey. But if I go back, I think I could have had better results um, had I incorporated it sooner. That being said, I don't think you need to do crazy kind of levels of exercise. You know, if you can do some weight training three times a week and just move, you know, whether it's walking to the shops instead of driving your car, whatever it is, you'll be fine. 
And that's what I, 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 you know, exercise is unnecessary, but motion is critical in life. You got to get up out of bed, get off the couch, go for a walk. Uh, If you want to get into the motion studio and do some Pilates yoga, some weights, do it, get out down on the floor, do 10 push-ups, you know, 10 sit-ups and, and get moving uh, and, and, and creative. Are you doing most of your counseling online or coaching, coaching counseling online, or is it all any face-to-face anymore? To be honest, because I started during the lockdowns and our lockdowns were really strict here for a long time, you were not allowed to leave your house or anything like that. So it all sort of started online and it's just really continued like that. So I've got clients, my clients are predominantly South African, um, but all across the country. And then I do have a few in the UK, in Canada, in the US, um, but yeah, predominantly scattered around South Africa. So, so how do people find you in this world? How, how, like, we're, it's like suddenly, uh, 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 Kim's keto 365, like, where did she come from? She's amazing and magical. And tell us a little bit about how people can find you. So I think in the beginning, I got a lot of clients through Instagram because people were asking me, how did I do it? And that sort of thing. And then it's just really been word of mouth. So my clients have seen results, they're happy, their friends ask them, then they join and that sort of thing. And I mean, from my very first clients, a lot of them are still on my group coaching. So they don't need the one-on-one coaching anymore, but they still like that community and sharing ideas and, you know, being part of that support system. So it's just been really awesome. So in some ways, there's a lot of been, been a lot of benefits from the COVID shutdown for so many of us, yeah. wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I do think another big thing that came out of the whole pandemic was people became a lot more health conscious and they also started to question things more. And I I believe both of those things are really good. So how do we change the paradigm of the standard uh, uh, African, Australian, American, uh, global uh, nutritional recommendations that you're speaking and saying they're wrong? essentially yeah although keto does allow some plants in there for sure Mm. um well what what kind of things can we all do to make the changes that are critical for our children and their children and their children i think sharing information is critical so if you come across a podcast that really speaks to you share it with your friends share it with your family you know they might not agree and that's okay i don't ever believe in trying to force someone to believe your ideas you don't need to prove yourself right in any way but if it resonates with them then they'll tell some more people and that's how we'll spread the message i don't think anytime soon we're going to get governments to change regulations or um suggestions or anything like that so we can just focus on you know our direct community around us and that starts to have a knock-on effect would you say the majority of your clients kind of stick with this? You know, most diets, people drop off, they gain their weight, they can't stay it. What, what is your experience on, on and, and you really came into this world in, in the keto world. You weren't, although you likely experienced diets throughout your lifetime, correct? Oh, I tried everything from cabbage soup diets to really calorie restricted things. I tried it all (laughs) Um, and nothing really worked for me or or stuck long-term, you know? I mean, there were other things that I lost weight on, but they were never sustainable. And I think that's one of the reasons why this lifestyle worked for me and has worked for so many of my clients is that it's not a typical diet where you have an end date in sight and then after that you'll go back to the way you were eating before because it won't work um so people see this as they're taking it on and i always tell people when they inquire about my coaching are you looking to do this as a short-term diet or are you looking to make lifestyle changes because i only want to take on people who want to make lifestyle changes because i don't think that this lifestyle or what I do will work for you if you're only going to do it for a short period. If you go back to eating the standard diet, you will pick back up the weights and then you will have wasted your money on the coaching. So I do think it's very much lifestyle changes. And I think these lifestyle changes, once you get past those carb cravings and things in the beginning, it's very sustainable and enjoyable. And and which part of it do you think is the most important part of, of the 
dietary changes, nutritional changes. I say diets are dead. And now we're talking about the true human nutrition. So yeah. to, uh, what, what do you think is the, the single most game changer in, in the story? To me, honestly, like you would think that the changes are cutting out the carbs or anything, but I think the biggest change for me was actually mental. And it was making that shift to actually learning to love myself and respect my body and not have things that don't make me feel good. And I think a lot of people think a health journey is physical, but it's far more mental than what it is physical. If you can really learn that self-love and self-respect, then you're 90% of the way there. So getting people to love themselves the way they are and yes. giving them the, the strength and the power, uh, permission in some way, because I think so many of us feel like we have to have permission to, to be ourselves in, in essence, yes. we sort of following the rules of the rulers and, and we, some, we so often are hit with the ruler and it hurts and, and by the ruler. Uh, and, and, and so that mindfulness is so masterful in sharing the, the, the love for thyself. I agree. Do you integrate it? Go ahead. Please. Kate. It's, that's, you know, being able to make your own choices for your body. And I always tell my clients, nobody knows your body better than you do. Nobody. Like, yes, people might have studied human physiology and that, but you know your body. You know when something doesn't feel right. You just have to learn to listen to your body again. It is, is although there's, you're really sharing with them a new story. Yes. Because because I feel like eating a donut. I feel like eating cake. I feel like eating the pasta. My body tells me I need to do that. Is is and I'm eating uh, emotional. I mean, obviously we all have our emotional yeah. pain bodies that we're we're eating for in essence because yeah. it makes us feel good. It does. Uh, what's, so what's your what's your best method to help people on that mindset change? So something I do with my clients and because most of us are emotional eaters and that's where a lot of the problem comes in is that <laughs> I get them to sit and make a list of other things that make them feel good. And it's going to be different from person to person, but things that come up often are like spending time with a loved one or watching a comedy or reading a good book, um, you know, other things that can make them feel good. And then I tell them when you're having that moment where you're not feeling great or you've had a bad day and you're feeling like turning to food, you go and get your list and you pick something off that list and you do that instead. And generally, by the time you've done that, you don't feel like eating anymore. And, and, and so do you incorporate any um, meditation, prayer, uh, anything like that? or mantras and, and things? Yeah, so for myself, I definitely do. And I do encourage for my clients as well. Um, I do aerial yoga and I do a lot of meditation. And I always tell people that's my weekly therapy. You know, I, I just feel like that kind of thing is very good for just calming you and putting things in perspective. You know, sometimes we feel like we've got so much going on and we get a bit overwhelmed. And just taking 15 minutes to meditate and be quiet and let your mind calm down makes you see things from a different perspective. And, and do you incorporate that? Do you journal? What about journaling and things like that in, in your coaching? Yeah. And I mean, really, it sounds like you're, you know, you have a, you have a, a dietary recommendation, but mm -hmm. I imagine it's a tremendous amount of coaching and cheerleading yes. and, and particular procedures in, in how to make the changes. Yeah. So I do encourage journaling. I have a keto lifestyle journal and um, my clients all get an electronic copy and you, they can buy like a hard copy on Amazon as well. But basically it's not your traditional journal where you would just write things in. Cause I mean, you can use any book for that, but it's got little prompts in that. So for example, it's got every day you should write down three things you're grateful for about yourself. And that kind of helps to reinforce and get people on that mindset of really loving themselves and appreciating themselves at that, at that moment in their journey as they are. 
And I do think that that helps a lot. So there's a lot of little things like that in the journal, just to help people get on the right track. And, and what's your age range in, in your clients that usually taking care of? Um, predominantly, I would say from sort of early thirties up until my oldest client is 65 at the moment. So, but mostly, um, sort of thirties, forties, fifties, forties and fifties. Yeah. I think a lot of women, um, in their thirties that have experienced PCOS and that, and then women in their forties, fifties, sort of either perimenopause or going into menopause and sort of not knowing where to go, not wanting to take hormones and stuff like that. And what's your thoughts on, on how to, how to, um, encourage younger women it sounds like you're mostly taking care of women is that right yes yeah so i i currently only coach women and my reason for doing that is because i really believe part of the reason my coaching works so well is because i've been through it and i understand and i don't understand it from a man's perspective sure. so not to say i would never coach a man or anything like that but i i believe there's better coaches out there for men that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, you mentioned about menopause. T tell us a little bit about your thoughts on on managing menopause for so many women going through yes. it in the nutritional side, obviously. So I definitely recommend um, Dr. Mindy Pulse's book, The Menopause Reset. She goes through um, a lot on her own journey in that book and different things she tried in that. And a lot of it actually has to do with your years leading up to menopause which I never realized until I read that book you know things like heavy metal toxicity and things like that affect your menopause journey so much because of the extra stress on your adrenals and and that sort of thing so I think it's definitely a process and I always recommend to my clients whether they perimenopause or going through menopause to read her book because there's so many gems in there that you wouldn't have thought of so what's the gem name one that you really so definitely help the clients the, the detox. I think definitely the detox, you know, cutting out beauty products that have all these toxins in, cutting out the chemicals in your household. Like I never realized how much of your household you can clean with simple things like lemon and vinegar, <laughs> you know, but we sold all these fancy products that are actually packed with toxins that are not good for us. And um, the fragrances, those sort of things. So, you know, I think people think of a detox and they think of some sort of juice cleanse or something like that, but it's actually cutting out the toxins from your life, getting rid of the plastic containers and um, drinking out of glass water bottles, simple changes like that can make a huge impact. And then obviously when it comes to diet, following um, keto and, and those sort of things and cutting out all the inflammatory foods and that help your hormone journey so much. Do, do you think a lot of those, those, um, the lectins, oxalates, phytates also yeah. have some contributing factors in, in all of that? Have you Definitely. found by eliminating? I think you people underestimate how important your gut health is. Your gut affects everything in your body, um, from your hormones to your brain to just everything. And I think cutting out those things is so, so beneficial. And, and you mentioned about, about the coaching and, and how important it is. And I, I'm, I'm sure many of those people get to that weight loss, but ultimately the, the continuous connection, uh, tell us a little bit about how you, you keep everyone inspired to keep on the journey and not venture, uh, off the path. I think one of the things that I push a lot with my ladies is that we are all human and at some stage you're going to fall off the wagon and that's okay to really be kind to yourself and just move on. When I started out, I fell off the wagon many times. My carb cravings were insane. And slowly but surely, as I developed that self-love relationship and I was respecting my body more, it became easier to say no. And the longer I went without those things, the less I wanted them. And I think when it comes to inspiring the ladies, they inspire each other because people will share on the group. They'll say, oh, I went to a function this weekend and I stayed keto and this is what I did. And that inspires everybody else. So I think sharing stories is so beneficial as well. It, it is. And those groups. So you have a Zoom group. Uh, how often? 
So we have, um, I have a WhatsApp group for the ladies. So we chat on there daily and then a Facebook group where we will do like live coaching calls and that once a week. And then I've got my private coaching clients. We do one-on-one calls every week and we chat daily. And, and what about, what about, um, uh, food, uh, uh, menus and things like that? Do you help them with that? And, yes. and sort of, because, because it's so hard and complicated for us to figure out what am I going to eat today? Yeah, so I do have the meal plans. I've got a number of different meal plans that they can choose from. I've got seasonal ones and that sort of thing. So ones that are more winter based with like bone broths and things in and one that ones that are more in line with summer. So there's a lot of different options for them to choose from. But I never give that sort of meal plan that your traditional dietitian will give where you must eat this for breakfast, you must have this for lunch, you must have that for dinner. I don't think it works long term. I rather want to teach you the tools to make good choices so that this can be sustainable. So I'll provide all the recipes, the guides and the information, but I really encourage my clients to choose and make decisions that are going to work for them. What's what's up next for you? Are you have any things in the in the plans for for uh, new creations, ideas, and sharing? So um, I'm busy with my website at the moment. That'll be the next step. And eventually I want to get to a coaching portal on the website where I can have pre-recorded sort of lessons for people to go through and that in their own time. Because although the coaching calls are nice and people can ask questions and that sort of thing, I think for some people, you know, to be able to maybe when they are not busy in the evening just pop on and do a lesson can be very beneficial too so that'll be the next step so what's the what would you say is the number one lesson uh for those that are that are you know suffering from bowel problems menstrual problems fertility problems weight problems uh even uh, maybe anxiety emotional depression problems I think definitely the first place to start is eating real food. So if it comes from a factory, don't have it. Go back to basics, um, stick to your meats and your whole foods and everything. And then you can start to tweak it from there. Once you've cut out all the processed stuff and all the nonsense, then you can say, you know what, that's really worked for me, but I need to take it a step further. Or, you know, I'm comfortable just eating this whole food. It's up to you. I think for some people, just cutting out the processed food and the sugar and the junk works. But for most of us, we do need to take it a bit further. And and how long do you think the average client takes sort of to get to their goal? Uh, you know, again, the weight the weight thing is is the most important. Yeah. Uh, the the number one thing people are seeking, but but again, even whatever those medical issues, because we 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 claim obesity is a medical issue, which I you know I don't think so personally. Uh, I think it's it's the the illogical recommendations of the modern world for yeah. the wrong nutrition would you agree absolutely and i think a lot of diseases are are like that too they're lifestyle diseases they you know we sold this thing that it's genetic but genetic in what way genetic because your parents also ate the way that you're eating or genetic because you actually have a gene for it so 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 let's get to children yeah. Uh, what's your where where does keto and carnivore fit in for for kids between five and 15 i guess a little 15 year old yeah. let's just say five to 15 is is it helpful for them also look i, I think it's as dr berry always says it's the proper human diet if you're human it's the proper diet so regardless of whether you're a child or an adult um, there's never going to be anything wrong with eating real food. And for my daughter, she eats what I eat. Um, I do let her indulge in more fruit and, and things like that. But predominantly, she eats whatever I'm eating because that's what I cook for the family. So I, I think it's never too early to start teaching your kids good nutrition habits. And people think she's so funny because at three years old, she'll tell them that's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but Pretty amazing. I just think wow. it's good to start early. In, <laughs> uh, in, in, you know, I've been talking a little bit about the, in utero, our, our, our babies are exposed to the toxic chemicals of many plants, and and obviously the the industrial produced foods that that aren't good for us, 
And so if you start at the stage when you're pregnant in the full on carnivore keto way, and I always say one meal a day is the very, very game changer best. And I agree with you. Fasting uh, is lasting and it's so, so critical in, in all of this. So, uh, to how to again? How to how do we convince those others? Which sounds like it's just sharing the story and inspiring them in your journey and your your uh, energy and and compassion and passion to this. It really is because I think you can't convince someone who doesn't want to see something that that's the right way to do it. Like for example, if. I come across a post on social media or actually people tag me a lot in posts on social media that are contrary to keto and I won't go and try and convince that person that keto is a good idea because they don't want to see it as a good idea. I think you do a lot more good by just sharing the knowledge that you do have and sharing your results and experiences because then the people who want to learn will come to you and you can make a lot greater impact on people who want to know and who want to learn more and they will then share that with other people and so it, it will grow do you have a lot of your clients that that are afraid to go to their doctors and tell them what they're doing with you and and yes. and either don't say anything or don't go so when my clients ask me what do i say to my doctor um I always say, well, if they ask about your nutrition, say you're trying a healthier lifestyle and you're focusing on eating meat and veg, that's all you have to say. Don't use the word keto because that seems to be a red flag for a lot of doctors. But if you say you're, you, you're trying to eat healthier and you're focusing on meat and veg, no one has a problem with that. <laughs> so, so, so simply healthy way and, and don't, you don't need to argue with your doctor or bait them no. with the thing that they're going to get all upset about and, and uh, maybe kick you out of the practice. Exactly. Right? <laughs> rather avoid the argument and, and just tell them what you're doing rather than giving it a label. Is, is your, is your diploma, uh, uh, the, th those in the school that you went to, the leaders in the school, is anyone open, do you think, to uh, looking more deeply and talking about keto and carnivore? Do you know what? Keto was mentioned and not in a negative light. It was just sort of like, this is something that there's research ongoing about and, you know, um, they're starting to do more research into these sort of things and there's, there's been positive results around low carb. So I don't think they would be not open to it as such. Um, I just think that there wasn't as much research maybe as, look, it was two years ago. So there's been a lot more research in the last two years. I don't think anybody frowns upon it, but I do think because of things like how um, Professor Noakes was taken to task and that, that professionals are scared to put their names behind it. So, so ultimately, scientific research is only marketing for those that are selling a product, but maybe our clients need to understand that there is no science that's straightforward in nutrition. It's not like the science of want. eating a high carb, low fat diet was right. It wasn't. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I think something you also have to take into account is it's very nuanced. And when you're looking at studies, it's not black and white. You have to look at, well, who was, who were the people that were studied? How large was the group? How long was it studied for? There's so many factors at play. And I think um, studies can easily be manipulated to just showcase what they want you to see. So I, I do think you have to take everything with a pinch of salt. And I always encourage people to question and research. And I think one of the biggest things I try to do for myself is watch content that's contrary to what I think, because that will keep me questioning and looking at new research and looking at ideas that are different to mine, because you don't want to get stuck in a dogma ever. That's the reason we're in the situation we're in. Right. We don't want to be in our dogma like they're there. You know, we're all in dogma. There's no doubt about it. And in some way, keto carnivore, paleo, Mediterranean, uh, pescatarian, uh, vegan, vegetarian, we're all somewhat dogma. It's like yeah. religion, politics and all of our cultural belief systems that this yes. is what we believe. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. In South Africa, I imagine it's the same as the United States. There's a tremendous amount of 
of increased diseases, healthcare costs are up. Uh, would you? Is that what's happening there also? Absolutely. And I think we saw it a lot with COVID and that is um, the hospitalizations and that due to obesity or, you know, um, being predisposed to having more severe COVID due to your health and that sort of thing. We saw it a lot. And I do think that it's made people a lot more aware. And I think something that people have also realized is that skinny doesn't equal healthy. Um. I do think that shone a light on it a lot as well, because a lot of people can appear healthy because that's what we've been told healthy looks like, but you're not necessarily healthy just because you're skinny. And wouldn't you agree that we label people obese and that's not right either? Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in, like, in, in that... Even the BMR scale itself, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, so we're labeling people a disease. They feel bad. You go to the doctor. Your doctor is not telling you, hey, how you doing? You look great. Fantastic. Yeah, they're making you feel bad. And yeah. so we need to eliminate this obesity. The obesity epidemic is easily eliminated by stop labeling people obese. And then start talking about the, the proper human nutritional solution, which is keto carnivore, one meal yeah. a day. And, and mind, the mind shift, as you said, is so important for everyone to begin to see the beauty in everyone rather than, whoa, look at that person, like X, Y, Z. And, exactly. and as you said, because uh, uh, I've seen so many lean, strong, healthy people die. I have so many lean, strong, healthy people not be fertile. They must yeah. have a medical condition or something diseased in their body which ultimately is so simple. Yeah, it's so true. You know, I think people go through so many different struggles and everything that are actually unnecessary if we were just given the correct information for how to take care of our bodies. And my suspicion is blood pressure is wrong. Uh, hemoglobin A1C is wrong. Christine just mentioned, you know, they lower the numbers to get more people in the in the disease label that will require more treatment and drug. So yeah. in essence, all of the diagnostic tools we have today are built on a plant-based, low animal fat diet and very little to no red meat and yes. three to six meals a day. W would you agree? Absolutely. And I think a lot of the problem comes down to as well is if you do ever struggle with weight, the thing that you're told all the time is eat less and move more. And there's no focus on the quality of the calories that you're eating or the response your body has to eating certain things. That's not spoken about. It's just eat less and move more. Which, which ultimately we know more people are moving more today than ever before, yet uh, we're having more and more problems. Plus, yeah. plus the issues of joint problems and surgeries, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy in so, yeah. so many ways. Uh, the, the uh, key, is it important to be in ketosis? <laughs> so I don't think you necessarily need to be in ketosis all the time. Um, I do believe our bodies were designed for metabolic flexibility. That's why we have the ability to fuel off glucose and or fat. Um, I think our ancestors predominantly ate an animal-based diet, but if they came across a fruit tree, they were probably going to eat the fruit. So... You know, if you're not in ketosis all the time, I, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. And I think um, metabolic flexibility is an important part of your health. Well, okay, I'm going to just make one little my craziness. Mm. Uh, we are not metabolically flexible. We only burn fat. That's it. Okay. This is my theory. All right. Yeah. So theory number one is fat is all that matters. If you're fat and there's a famine, you're alive. If you're skinny, yes. you're dead. Why are we all getting fat? Because for the last 3 million years, plus or minus something, there's we no lived famine. through famines. And so if you decide, you know, I'm not going to eat this week, you're dead. Yeah. And so, so uh, why would we burn sugar when fat is everywhere? Can you explain it? Can't. No. Yeah. 
Uh, and I do believe for the processes that the body needs glucose, it will produce its own glucose. You don't need to be eating it. No one knows about the glycobiome, but I'm a little bit of a nutcake on the glycobiome. Glycosylation. Yeah. Glycosylation is critical. So proteins are not functioning on their own. They re require sugars to bind to them. The sugar binds to them, so they're functional. Yes. So glucose glycans, galactose, mannose, and other sugars are critical for glycosylation, which happens yes. so fast you and I can't even understand it. So there's a there's another process in the human body that is something we don't even talk about. Mm -hmm. And almost no one knows that glucose's function is glycosylation. It okay. can be converted in the liver along yes. with amino acids to fat because type one diabetics die for lack of fat and liver failure patients die from lack of fat also because the only place amino acids and simple sugars can be converted to fat is in the liver. And okay. if, because liver failure patients have high insulin and high glucose, they yes. die of they're, they're emaciated and skinny. And then type one diabetics have no insulin. They're emaciated yeah. and skinny. And so the more you give them insulin, the fatter they get. Because the purpose of insulin is to do one thing. Yeah. Make fat. Make yeah. fat. And so when everyone says, and again, we all say this, I my theory is we don't have any metabolic flexibility. You must burn fat okay. in the in the mitochondria. But if everyone re realized that sugar is for glycosylation but excess yes. sugar causes glycation which causes every disease we suffer from and yeah. and that's why what you're doing is so important keto carnivore fasting and and having a love affair with yourself not a Absolutely. hate affair right Absolutely. You've got to love yourself at every stage of your journey. Doesn't And loving yourself doesn't mean you don't want to improve. It just means you still love yourself where you're at. Well, uh, uh, Kim's Keto 365, I'm inspired by you. And the inspiration of people you like you inspire all of us to be healthier, to love ourselves, and and make the hugest changes in the universe and Absolutely. i appreciate you how can uh, people I appreciate you too <laughs> thank you thank you thank you from syracuse new york where are you in uh, south africa johannesburg south africa beautiful amazing <laughs> all over the world like we're human beings no matter That's your so color size, shape all over right absolutely well so, we're going to so be amazing. we're going to be following your your continued rise in success to helping and, and, and coaching to health and wellness on this beautiful journey. Much thank love you so to much. you. And thank to you. you. Thank you. We love you. Thank All you right, so everyone. much thank for chatting you. to me. It's my pleasure. My pleasure <laughs> to, to my Instagram. I'm going to say goodbye. And uh, to our, to our uh, Facebook YouTube fans. Thanks so much, Kim. We appreciate you. Thank you God so bless. much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkiltz.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.